You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. A very warm welcome to The Racing Show. Sponsored by Bresbet, our new online partners. Trainers. Jockeys. Pundits. And all your racing news, flat and jumps. Every Friday night at 7 o'clock, here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Racing Show here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, I hope you've had a good week, a good racing week. It's been some pretty exciting racing going on over the country. And uh, on the show tonight, we've got yet another jam-packed session with... We've got Harry Finley, we've got Richard Dunwoody, we've got Colin Brown, of course, Dave Wilson from Harlequin Racing, Jamie Snowden from Lambourne... Gavin Sheehan, Jamie Snowden's stable jockey, he'll be joining us, as will Nick Schofield. And also we've got uh, some special offers from Bresbet, and of course our new Memories feature, which seems to have gone down very well last week. So hopefully all in all, we've got uh, a full action back show for you. And we're going to start, as we always do, with all the news from the racing media with Mike Patton. Hello and a very warm welcome along to this week's edition of the Racing News, featuring all the news from the racing media, which includes Racing TV, the Racing Post and the Sporting Life. And here today is our first story. All those involved will be feeling the pressure on Tuesday as a disciplinary hearing finally gets underway to determine whether Robbie Dunn is guilty of bullying Bryony Frost, which he denies. Along the way, we hope to learn whether the weighing room is indeed the supportive environment that several high-profile riders have described, or whether there is a different reality for some. In racing's quiet little world, no BHA hearing has been so widely anticipated or generated such a quantity of advanced coverage and commitment. And this, despite the central figure having herself remained silent since January, when she said, It concerns something that must be approved for our younger generation. And she did that in the middle of a Racing Post interview. Frost's comments at the time, coming so soon after her King George success aboard Froden, attracted a lot of attention, with various attempts made at teasing out details of what she meant. Within days... Dunn was named as a jockey whose relationship with Frost was fractious at best. He was not the only name reckoned to be in the frame in those early days, but he is the only one known to have been charged with a breach of the BHA rules. 
When a charge sheet was finally issued last week, some of the parameters of the case were confirmed. The behaviour at its core, having apparently taken place between February the thirteenth and September the third last year, it is surely significant that Frost won aboard this break at Leicester on the first of those dates. Her mount having been shoulder to shoulder with the dun-ridden Lickpenny Larry just after the final fence. The charges mention three specific incidents of alleged abuse and threatening behaviour. First at Stratford on July the eighth. Then at Utoxeter on August the seventeenth, and at Southwell on September the third, all in 2020. Dunn denies each charge. At worst, the 36-year-old faces a ban from the sport, running into several years if found in breach. Interest in the case flared up once more in the middle of last month when an investigatory report prepared for the BHA's integrity team by its head Chris Watts found its way into the hands of David Walsh at the Sunday Times, and some of it was quoted in his articles over consecutive Sundays. Dunn's solicitor responded with a mixture of anger and despair, complaining of damage to his client's reputation and prejudice to the disciplinary process. After the second of Walsh's reports, there was an unexpected intervention from the Professional Jockeys Association, asserting that a fair hearing had become impossible because of the leak, and calling on the BHA to quote, bring this matter to an end, however unsatisfactory that is. To the surprise of some, the BHA did not offer a public response, although it quite obviously continued to pursue the case, possibly taking the view that the less said about it, the better. Some, even among the BHA supporters, would have preferred a robust assertion that the process was sound despite the leak. The source of that leak remains unclear. Another complicating factor is that Watts left the BHA in the summer for reasons that have never been explained. It is still not known whether he will be available as a witness at this week's hearing to discuss the findings of his investigation or to be cross-examined over it. It remains possible that this hearing will begin with a vigorous debate between lawyers as to whether the leak has fatally compromised the process. However, it seems unthinkable the panel would decide they are too prejudiced to hear the case. Instead, the likelihood is that the case will involve six days of evidence spread over this week and next. Brian Barker QC, who chairs Racing's independent judicial panel of fifteen members, will himself chair the three-person panel that sits in judgment this week, an acknowledgement of the gravity of the case. Also on the panel will be James O'Mahony, a retired circuit judge, and Alison Royston, whose career has been in football administration. It will be the first hearing to take place in the BHA's basement since the COVID outbreak. Disciplinary matters having been dealt with very effectively online in the subsequent twenty months. Panel members, accused persons, and witnesses have all convened via Zoom for recent hearings, and there have been no notable hitches, bar an occasional fumbling with the technology. But it has evidently been decided that this case merits a return to the traditional method. Media representatives tended to crowd around the edges of the hearing room when noteworthy cases were heard in the past, but interest in this case has been such that it has not been deemed practical. With COVID a continuing concern, journalists are to be allowed to observe remotely and must hope the electronics do not fail at a critical juncture.
It does not seem a coincidence that the BHA issued a press release last week with news of agreed upgrades to the changing facilities available to jockeys at British racecourses. The areas restricted to female jockeys at some tracks having come in for particular criticism. A deadline of February has been made for ensuring that private changing and showering facilities exist at every track for any jockey who wishes to use them, which is being insisted upon as a key safeguarding measure and an especially important thing to provide for any riders who are not yet 18. And our next story here on the Racing News. Freddie Tylicky told the High Court on Monday of the moment he uttered, quote, a shout for survival, as horses ridden by him and Graham Gibbons collided during the Kempton incident in October of 2016 that ultimately left him paralysed. The 35-year-old was giving evidence at the start of a five-day hearing to determine whether Gibbons is liable to pay him damages for the catastrophic injury. Addressing the judge, Karen Walden-Smith, from a position immediately in front of the defence barrister, that's because there is no wheelchair access to the witness stand in Court 69, Tylicky told of his final efforts to avoid disaster as he felt Madam Butterfly, Gibbons's mount, squeeze him and Nellie Dean against the inside rail. I took a pull and shouted Gibbo, he recalled. It was a shout for survival, to be honest, because I knew what was going to happen next, but there was no response. Gibbons, who watched from two rows behind Tylicky, is expected to give evidence later in the week, as will their fellow jockeys Jim Crowley and Pat Cosgrave, who also took part in the race. Gibbons denies liability, and his barrister, Patrick Lawrence QC, spent much of Monday afternoon cross-examining Tylicky. That involved repeatedly showing footage of the race in question from five different angles, some of those present wincing at the point when Nellie Dean fell, firing Tylicky onto the all-weather surface and bringing down two other runners. At the close of the day's evidence, Judge Walden-Smith thanked Tylicky for his patience in sitting through so much footage that must have been difficult for him to watch. Tylicky sought to explain how Nellie Dean closed up on Madam Butterfly inside as the field entered the bend out of the back straight in the mile race. That was a gap produced by Mr Gibbons, Tylicky said, because he came off the fence even further and slowed it down. I didn't make any gap. I didn't force my way into any gap. He then described being aware that, quote, Mr Gibbons all of a sudden decided to come back onto the fence, obviously with me in the way. He recalled urging his mount forward so that Gibbons would not be able to make that manoeuvre, but said of Madam Butterfly was quickening at the same time. He said he had full control of the situation. The pressure from my left continued until he bumped me. Then, instead of coming off me, he continued to put the pressure on and get into my racing line and basically wiped me out. Lawrence argued with Tylicky about the extent to which Madame Butterfly had moved away from the inside rail and, choosing his words carefully, suggested the jockey could have done more to avoid the eventual accident by restraining his mount from moving up the gleeders inside. I'm not criticising your riding, Lawrence said, because all this happened in a split second. Pat Cosgrave told the stewards on the day that you had been a bit ambitious, had gone for a gap that wasn't really there when you rode your horse forward. I have to suggest to you that that's a fair description. Your decision to press forward into that gap was ambitious 
or, if you prefer a different word, it was bold. Tyliki disagreed. Lawrence suggested that there was no more than a second between Tyliki's cry of Gibbo and his horse falling, and asked what Gibbons could have done in that time to rescue the situation. Tyliki responded, "All he had to do was slightly shift to the left, but the opposite happened. He went right. When I shouted at him, he still had plenty of time to shift to the left, but the shout was ignored." Now earlier, Lawrence had attempted to set in context his contention that Tyliki's claims should be turned down. He said, "Jockeys are navigating their way around a course on very powerful animals with minds of their own, and under an obligation to obtain the best possible placing within the rules. It is a highly competitive and dangerous sport, and jockeys have to make split-second judgment calls all the time." Which line to take? Which horse is the real danger, and so forth? In all those circumstances, it is unsurprising that interference happens, and that there is a strong bias for treating it as careless rather than dangerous. The policy element is this: if what we say is a racing incident of the type that occurred here, albeit one with tragic consequences for one of the jockeys. If that type of incident will tend to generate litigation and interest from lawyers, it is not difficult to see that this will have multiple ramifications, which may create all sorts of difficulties for professional sport, not just horse racing. The case is to continue on Tuesday when evidence is expected from Cosgrave. Edward Falk's QC, appearing for Tyliki, suggested Cosgrave would say something very different to what he told the stewards on the day. Ryan Morn has prepared an expert report for Tyliki's legal team, which is quoted in their skeleton agreement made available as the hearing began. Moore is quoted as saying that Gibbons was reacting to the fact that Nellie Dean is coming up the inner, and he wishes to close the gap, which he is not entitled to do, as it is dangerous. Gibbons' team will counter with their own expert witness, the steward and former amateur jockey Charlie Lane. He will apparently tell the court, had he been a steward on the day, he would have ruled the interference in this case as accidental. And on to our next story here on the racing news. Online gambling operator eight 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 said on Tuesday that they expected to complete their two point two billion pound purchase of William Hill's European business in the first quarter of next year after making quote strong progress. The two companies agreed a deal in September, which will give eight 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 a retail presence for the first time through the acquisition of William Hill's fourteen hundred strong betting shop estate. Eight 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 said that all mandatory antitrust and gaming regulation clearances had been received, and that a circular and prospectus was expected to be issued in early 2022, with a shareholder vote to follow. The company said that they expected to raise around five hundred million pounds in equity before the acquisition is completed, which is set to happen earlier than expected. Eight 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 were confirmed as the successful bidder for William Hill International following a tussle with private equity group Apollo Global Management. U.S. casino giant Caesar Entertainment completed a two point nine billion takeover of William Hill in April, but they made it clear that they were only interested in the firm's U.S. arm and would sell off their business in Europe. 
888 Chief Executive Itai Pansner said, This transaction will create one of the world's leading online betting and gaming groups with superior scale, leading technology, increased diversification and a platform for strong growth, supported by a portfolio of iconic brands. He went on, I'm delighted that we have now checked off a number of important milestones towards completion of the acquisition. Given the strong progress we have made, we now expect the transaction to complete in the first quarter of 2022 and are excited about the opportunities ahead of us as we combine two powerful and complementary businesses. 888 have appointed Guy Cohen as SVP, Director of Integration, to work alongside a senior team from William Hill. Pazner said that Cohen's critical role would strengthen the company's, quote, leadership and commitment to this important process as we look to leverage the significant expertise and talent from both businesses to benefit the combined group. The update was described as, quote, positive by David Brown, who's gaming and leisure analyst at the stockbroker's Good Body. However, 888 shares were down 5.4 pence at 318.4 pence on Tuesday morning. And our final story on today's racing news. The Race Course Association has confirmed there are no plans to introduce mandatory COVID passes at tracks, despite the emergence of the Omicron variant. Chelmsford announced on Sunday that racegoers attending its meetings will have to show COVID passes detailing an individual's vaccination record and test results, and that's to be permitted entry starting from Thursday's evening fixture. Although officials at the Essex track stated that the new variant, which was first reported in South Africa but has spread to countries across the world, including the UK, was not the overriding factor behind the decision to make Covid passes mandatory, the decision raised questions of how other British courses might respond. However, an RCA spokesman said there are no plans to replicate that move at English racecourses. People attending outdoor venues in Scotland with more than 4,000 people in attendance have been required since October 1st to prove they have been vaccinated, and in Wales that's since October 11th. An RCA spokesman said, Further to recent speculation, the RCA can confirm that there are currently no plans to introduce mandatory COVID certification at British racecourses other than in devolved nations where venues are already required to facilitate the initiative when attendances reach a certain level. He added, We remain in close contact with the appropriate departments across national governments to ensure all British racecourses are at the forefront of relevant information should the situation change. In the interim, the RCA will continue to follow the advice given by national governments and provide guidance to our member racecourses, allowing them to safely welcome spectators and participants. Racegoers in England have faced no restrictions on attendance since the lifting of the government's lockdown measures on July the 19th. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced last week that face coverings would become mandatory again in shops and on public transport in England. That's in response to the Omicron variant, but hospitality settings were exempt from the changes. This has been the Racing News, with all the news from the racing media that includes Racing TV, the Racing Post and the Sporting Life. I'm Mike Padden. Join us again next time.
and thanks for listening. Well, that was Mike Padden with all the uh, racing news from all of the racing media for you. And now let's find out where we can go racing this weekend. Well, we can start with seven races over the jumps at Aintree with an 11.45 start. Seven races over the jumps at Weatherby, 11.52 start. Seven races over the jumps at Sandown, 12.05 start. Seven races over the jumps at Chepstow, 12.12 start. One race at Navan, over the jumps at 108. Don't quite understand why there's only one race there. I'm sure there's more than one, but there we go. And seven races on the flat at Wolverhampton with a four o'clock start. Okay, then on Sunday, there are seven races over the jumps at Kelso, over the 12.03 start. 12.03, why don't you just say 12 o'clock? Anyway, 12.03 is the time. Seven races over the jumps at Huntingdon with a 12.17 start. And there is racing at Punchestan. It says here only one race, but I'm sure it must be more than that. Uh, again, over the jumps with a two o'clock start. OK, let's catch up now with the latest instalment of our interview with Harry Finley. Now, you, I know you've got a passion for golf, um, Harry, uh, and you've you've at times been, uh, you know, at five o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning, whatever time the, the British Open kicks off, you've been there. Um, tell us about your passion for golf and how, how you got into that. Oh, I just, um, well, I, I'm starting to play a little bit again now and I'm still the worst player in the world. <laughs> but um, I play with some of the best in practice rounds. But um, no, I, I've, I just, the first, my dad was always a golf fan. He was a big Jack Nicholas fan. So as a young boy, I remember watching the Open. But going, the first tournament I went to at Wentworth in... Um, going to live, like a lot of sports, like when you first go to football, we going to a golf tournament live. Um, you know, I just, I'd only been in the course about 10 minutes and walked past Greg Norman, who was like a yeah. superstar. And yeah. just the whole day, I just, I, I would have been quite happy to be a caddy for the rest of my life after one day at Wentworth. And yeah. I found the golf very addictive. I found the world match play as it was then at Wentworth and yeah. the early morning starts, and they'd literally be at the scoreboard. You could bet seven to four on or lay seven to four on, and there was money trading hands, cash to cash. It was like a mini bet fair at the, at the scoreboard before you go out and watch and you go out the 18 holes and come back and have a bit of lunch, and then same again in the afternoon. As a as a young man, that was just... that was just, And, of course, there was so little live sport on TV. So the Wentworth, you know, the Wentworth yeah. World Match Play was a big was a big betting thing. And the British Open, the match bets and all that. And, uh, I mean, the last three St Andrews, every five years they have the Open at um, St Andrews. And we've had a house there full of mates. And uh, especially when Tiger won it, that was that was a great time. But of all the sporting events I've been to in my life, the, the week at St Andrews is the most bubbled, closed-off bubble. You know, literally... Yeah. Nobody outside of nobody cares about anything else other than the British Open, yeah. and that one week of St Andrews, because all the straight goers sell their houses and rent them out for the week. All the ones who don't want nothing to do with golf have all buggered off. The only ones who keep their houses are the golf nuts themselves. So you really have an absolutely a golf town yeah. for one week, and it's just all about the Open, the practice rounds, and I've great memories and. You know, I remember a couple of years at the Open, we knew when Tiger Woods was teeing off and when he had them early starts before a lot of people, and it was just fantastic. How many, uh, you know, of the sort of leading golfers have you did you meet or, you know, have... Oh, well, I was quite good mates with Chubby, so Chubby, 
Chubby knew, knew, knew quite a lot of them. And I, would, I was, we went to South Africa a few, few winters on the trip, you know, before doing a part on that. So we, so I met, I met quite a lot of them really. Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of them are very, you know, they're like, they're, they're, you know, like tennis players, golfers, most of them are, are a lot, sort of, not tougher, but they're a lot, you know, like Tim Henman, I get on well with Henman. I think Henman's an absolute legend yeah. uh, for so many reasons. And people talk about him, you know, like as if he's a stuck up, like, and he, you know, he doesn't, you know, and Henman's an absolute, I've never known anyone, you mentioned earlier, doesn't suffer fools gladly. If you say anything stupid in Henman's company, he'll tear your head off and he can, you know, he's just, you know, yeah. quite often golfers and a lot of them are, are quite, you know, strong characters and all that. Yeah, and yeah. that comes with the territory. Yeah. I think I would be if I could, <laughs> I'd dread to think what I'd be like if I could go on a golf course at 65. Yeah, but then again, <laughs> you know, you, you, you could say that, but you, I'm sure if, if I was sort of, Supposedly technically minded and knew all about betting, yeah. And I started throwing facts at you that weren't yeah. accurate. You soon tell me yeah. you're wrong. No, I, but I just think in the sporting sense, knowing I do think I understand how the top sports stars. I've got no talent myself, but I do think I understand how the very top sports stars think. And I do have to admit, um, unflatteringly, that if I was a superstar, I think I'd be a bit like Bristow. And yeah, I, yeah I'd, I mean, I'd be nice to say that I'd be like someone at, like like the real yeah. good winners are. But no, I think if I was, I think I've always thought that. And I I, I used to, I used to like Bristow, for different ways. And I met Eric and that and and um, I got to within hundred and ten playing. Yeah, him. I played him in Crooken. Yeah, did you really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric was a real real lad. I mean, he was a yeah. he was heavyweight. I, I mean, I got on the right side of him straight away. For you know, I got the opportunity to, but. He was full bore, Eric, but he uh, there was a lot there was there was there was a lot to learn from Eric, and, and certainly Phil the Power Taylor learned a lot from him. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, also I played in Crooken, um, dropping names, Bob Bob Anderson as well. Yeah, I don't, he, yeah. he was he was good. He was he was a nice guy. I was a big darts fan when Bob when before the players because I worked with Sky for a bit. That's how I knew the dart players. Yeah, but I remember going to the um, the World Championships when Bristow played Jockey Wilson. And yeah. they were they were literally hitting one eighties, one eighties, one forty, one eighty, yeah. and literally the, the chandeliers were bouncing, the chandeliers were bouncing, and yeah. I I just thought that was fantastic. Oh, was. He, he, he had so I know he was I know what he's like Eric, but he, what he was like, but he had some charisma on on, yeah. on, on, on on the stage. Eric did. No, he's a nice bloke too. He was you know, he was <laughs> Denman, Denman, Denman. Won the gold cup. Man. Harry, Come do on. you want to buy a horse? Mm. That was Paul Barber who ran me up. He said, "Do you want to buy a horse?" How did you get to know Paul Barber? You know, to to that he would have rung you up in the first place. Then did you um, know him or no? I was Kevin Ball, the singer. His brother, yeah, bought a horse. I was completely. I was working with Tony Bloom, and I was training dogs with Don Cuddy. So I hadn't seen a racehorse for. I hadn't seen Cheltenham for two years. I was doing no horses at all. Um, <clears throat> literally. So anyway, this guy, this um, Michael Ball taught me, Kevin Ball taught me into, Michael Ball's brother taught me into buying a leg in this horse, which was down at Paul Barber's, yeah. uh, down at Paul Nichols, and then Paul Barber found out about it, and the syndicate, wherever, was being messed around, and Paul Barber said, look, I'll, if you want, you can run it in my colours, and that, that's how I met Paul Barber, right. through him, and that was, that was the only reason why, we, to be honest, I even got involved with horses, because... My mother was retired as a nurse and she was doing private nursing, but that had to stop. And she was doing nothing with the time. And I thought to go and drive and meet people like Paul Barber, I said to Paul, look, if you do find two, a couple of horses to 
literally from mum to going have a day out. And that's literally how it started. Mm. Two what Linkton lad was one of them and another one. And no one, my name was not mentioned. la di da di da And it wouldn't have been mentioned. But then along come Denman. And um, so lucky to get Denman. As always, in you know, Henrietta Knight should have bought Denman. Henrietta Knight's a legend. Big mate with Mick Channon, who's yeah, a legend, yeah. as you know. And Henrietta Knight fell in love with Denman. But he'd had a wind operation. He'd been hobdate. And... That's, that was a no-go for Henry. I think she had, actually had a picture of Denman in a thing, and she, she, you know, I haven't spoken to her about it, but I think that she must have massive regrets about not buying Denman. And there was two or three others as well, top owners who would had a chance to buy him. Yeah. But the fact that they'd had a wind up, they'd had a wind a wind up, put them off, and that wouldn't make any difference to Paul Nichols. Paul Nichols gives as soon as they make a noise, Paul Nichols gives them a wind up. Yeah. So uh, that didn't put him off, and it was Paul and the two Pauls that were looking at him. And Nichols bought him as he as, as Adrian McGuire bought him out of the hut, out of the shed or whatever, <laughs> the stable or whatever, brought him out to look at him. Paul Nichols said, "Yeah, I'll have him." And Nichols and Barb was behind him and said, oh, "No, you won't. I'm having him." And um, he rang me and said, "Do you want to buy? Do you want to buy Den Arthur Denman for sixty grand?" I said, "It's a I said it's a hairbrush, isn't it?" He said, "No, no, it's a point to point horse." He said, "But la di da di da." So it's one of mine. Great big horse, lovely lot. I said, yeah, I'm in. And that, that was that was the start of it. So he was bought initially and as a point-to-point horse? Point well, he, he'd, he'd run in a point-to-point. Point. He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd run a point-to-point point and Maguire, Adrian Maguire told everyone he was a machine. Yeah. And uh, all the faces went to see him. But like I said, the wind up, the wind up, put the faces off. Mm, mm. But I mean, wind ups these days are a, Yeah, well, a I mean, it's, common, it's, aren't it's, they? Yeah, we're going back 12, 12 years. So yeah. there would be a, a bit more, um, a bit more reticence about but also the wind up maybe then, but certainly even then Nichols was Nichols was it didn't it wouldn't have put Nichols off um in the slightest, whereas Henry at a night who just won three gold cups with best mate and uh, yeah. and you know it's funny how things happen. I mean people talk about me and Denman, I we didn't say about it, but but I bought I had long run bought for three hundred and twenty grand, done the deal and everything and the only reason I didn't get my hands on a long run is they come back and said that we had to keep it in France for two more years and I couldn't give it to Paul Nichols. I was gonna give him that as a I was going to give him long one as a three-year-old, so <laughs> I might, you know, if Denman had broke his heart, I might have won seven gold cups, and then that would have killed people. But that's what you know, there's, there's always there's a story behind every horse, every good horse, and um, that's how lucky we were. That's how lucky we were with Denman. And and what you know, what memories have you got of, of the actual race now? Of the actual Looking race back, itself, yeah, the gold cup. Just being proud of Paul Barber, how strong he was about the tactics. There was a non-runner on the day. And that was part of our plans. And I just remember seeing Paul quite early at Cheltenham and looking at him. And he said, "I said, you know," and he said, "Don't worry, everything's taken care of." And in, high, in hindsight, in hindsight, I think that we didn't need to go that fast. And I genuinely, I genuinely think anyone who knows about race, National One Racing, if you the, the, the Gold Cup that Denman won, if you stop the race when they come down the hill. Turning for home in the final time, I think if you'd have said bet the distance, I'd have bet Denman to win by over 40 lengths. Would you? Yeah. Yes, and I think he broke his heart during that race. And uh, I thought it at the time, I'm not saying he broke his heart at the time, but when he crossed the line, he was wobbling. Was he? So he was wobbling, yeah, he yeah. was wobbling, and Sam, and I honestly believe that, um, I honestly believe that um, no one will never, I mean, he won a Hennessy after that. Mm. I mean, and if you compare any, any horses, you know, I just, I, I, I think that um, 
he, he, you know, and it's not just me. I mean, Lester Piggott is still the greatest now. He's he's, he's still great. He still turns up at Kenilworth. He turns up at Gold Cups. Even Mick Channon, I see his on his thing. He's got him and his wife and Lester Piggott, mm. greatest ever. And, and he thinks yeah. that he thinks that Denman, he thinks that Denman would 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 have destroyed any other national one horse we've ever seen if it hadn't, if that hadn't have happened. Really? And uh, and who knows? But just being a part of him as he was was fantastic. But yeah. um, after so would you go so far as to say that, in your opinion, and then obviously horse racing is all about opinions, he was the best ever, you know, Gold Cup horse. Yeah, I, I, I have I, the Gold Cup. I think was absolutely perfect for Denman. Gold Cup's not three. Gold, Gold Cup's three miles too. It's not. It's three. You have to stay three and a half miles to win a Gold Cup. Yeah. There's no. I mean, the arc was two miles. I think that's two mile three. Um, and if they were both at their best, Corto Star couldn't get anywhere near Denman over three and a quarter miles at Cheltenham. By the same token, we couldn't get anywhere near Corto. Maybe even the Leicester Piggott Denman might not have beaten Corto Star flat out around three miles around Kempton. Yeah. But that's that, that's that's not the point. If you're asking about Cheltenham Gold Cup, I think that I think he beat Chel I think he beat Corto Star that day. With, with literally like you know not not being who he was, and I think the the Sun Alliance the year before against Aces Four was just breathtaking pace and, and and everything. And you look at when he rode when when Ruby rode Denman in the Lexus, and I was screaming because he rode Denman in the Lexus and he held him up and held him up to see how much speed he really had. Mm. And he, Denman jumped the last in the Lexus like three quarters of a length in front of like four or five horses when really. If Ruby had put pace in the race, he'd have been four in front two out. And I've got little Danita. I mean, I've got my brains on Denman at four, and I know where it was. But Denman still won, and he, still, and still, still, Ruby went with Corto, and I thought he would, and that's why I just thought the ride was a little bit. But he was, to be fair, he was finding out just how much speed and how good Denman really was. You, you said a minute ago, you know, broke his heart. Did you mean by that that that, that particular race, because he'd been held back so much? That the horse itself kind of lost heart. No, no, no. I mean, went, no. We broke his heart when he, when he was going to when, he, when we went so fast in that Gold Cup when Neptune Colonge led, and we took it up and we really served it up to Corto Star because we knew we'd stay the three and a quarter miles. We knew that Corto didn't stay three and a quarter miles. He won Gold Cups, but he, on class, he's not. A, yeah. You know, the, so the more pace we put into the race, the less chance Corto Star had. And looking back on it, I just think that. You know, if we had our time again, we'd have won anyway and wouldn't have had to go quite so fast. But at the time, I was more than proud and happy to be a part of part of it. Well, there we go. That was Harry the dog and a few interesting little tales in there, especially his uh, his uh, experiences with Denman. So, more next week from Harry. You know, one of the advantages of doing a show such as this is you, you get to meet, or at least certainly over the phone anyway, some very nice people. And... Uh, one such gentleman uh, crossed my path fairly recently was Richard Dunwoody. Of course, one of the owners that Richard rode for was Freddie Starr. This is what Richard had to say about Freddie Starr. So, so what was Freddie Starr like to ride for? I imagine a bit of a laugh, I suppose, wasn't he? Uh, Freddie was, was great. Um, all I, I remember, the, he wasn't there. He was, he was doing a, um, apparently doing one of his shows down in Brighton. Yeah. So always remember the, the interview. Um, after the race, Desmond Lynham was interviewing Martin. I was stood alongside him, and then he started interviewing me. And as um, he was interviewing me, Martin's phone call um, started to ring, and um, he answered it, and it was Freddie Starr. 
So he's having a conversation with Freddie. I'm speaking to Desmond Lynham. <laughs> then suddenly Martin, Martin hands me the, f- the phone. And all I could hear was just this mad, <laughs> it almost barking down, down the other end of the phone. It was, it was Freddie who was going absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to meet him a couple of times. And, yeah, really nice chap. Really, and it was very sad what happened to him. You know, yeah. he passed away a couple of years ago. And, That's right. Yeah. yeah, very, very sad. So, look at it. I'm just looking very quick. I mean, you've got so many big winners here. It's a job to know which one to sort of home in on. Really, obviously, the two national winners were were, were something special. But um, uh, four gold cups. Uh, sorry, uh, King George's. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, first one, eighty nine on Desert Orchid. Is that right? Yeah, um, I was very lucky. Uh, all the jockeys that uh, before we got on. Um, on Desert Orchid, um, fortunately for me, ended up retiring. And the first, of course, Colin Bryan was his main rider for for a long time. Yeah, um, had him when he was very headstrong. He was he used to pull uh, very hard. Uh, Desert Orchid it was very very keen, as we say, in racing. And um, so Colin rode him to begin with over hurdles, then over fences. Uh, then Colin retired. Simon Sherwood got the ride, won nine races out of ten on him. The only time he was beaten was at Liverpool. He fell that day. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Simon retired. And fortunately for, for me, uh, David Nicholson was very good. Said I was stable jockey to him at the time, but he said, if, if you get the ride on Desert Orchid, take it. I'll do my, my best to, to make sure you can ride him every time. And um, David Ellsworth and, and the, the Burridge family, um, asked me to ride him, so big privilege, a lot of pressure. Um, obviously, he was the like the the nation's favourite. He was grey, stood out. Everyone loved him, and um, yeah, it was magic. It was um, two brilliant days um, when he won the King George's around around Kempton. He also won a, a race called the Racing Post Chase uh, there, and he was he was fantastic. He loved he loved Kempton. And and what you know, he was always made out to have a, a real character of a horse because, um, you know, not all horses have got a, sort of a, a strong character. Did you find that with him? Was he, he his own man? Did he sort of do what he wanted? To- yeah, he was. He certainly was. From the first time I I got on him, I I found that out straight away. He was his own man, as you say. <laughs> he wanted to show who was boss. Yeah. And they, the the first time I rode him out at David Ellsworth's um, on the gallop, circular gallop, uh, went round once and. Brendan basically told me, Brendan Parley, and I think he, Brendan ridden him out a couple of times as well, but Rodney Bolt used to ride him, um, David's head lad, and got on with Desert Orchid very, very well and was able to hold him. But all the jockeys that came, he ended up running away with them, and uh, he did the same on me. Very embarrassing <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, but um, fortunately, he was a lot better to ride on a race course than he he was at home. Um, the hardest bit probably about riding him on the course was actually getting him down to the start. When he could be very keen, mm. um, but in a race, he, he normally jumps superbly, and um, he sort of left it to him. And certainly around Kempton, he, he knew the course so well; uh, he, he knew what was re- required of him, and he was he was fantastic to ride. Big privilege. And how did he compare to one man who you also won it on twice? Yeah, one man was a slightly yeah a very very good horse. Um, but ran in Gold Cups and, and certainly didn't get home both both times I rode him in the in the Gold Cup and then he went back to two miles and won the won the champion chase at, at Cheltenham. But in the King George, um, he won 
Well, uh, at, at Sundown, the, the race had been cancelled at uh, Kempton um, Boxing Day and postponed to uh, to be run sort of about two weeks later at, at Sundown. It was brilliant, that, I have to say, that time. That was the first time I rode him. I uh, went back to the race the same year then uh, at Christmas and won the next King George. And he was he was a good horse. You know, Millie, Mr. Mulligan was, was second to him, fell at the last, would have been second. Uh, with mm. Tony McCoy, and uh, he was a very, very classy horse, but he just didn't get, whereas Desert Orchid did get a trip, you know, we say three mm. miles, three and a quarter, quarter miles, winning the Gold Cup. Uh, one man was was probably best at two and a half, two and three quarter, quarter miles, or a flat three miles, really. Now, I'm getting all my information from Wikipedia. I expect you've come across that in your time. Um, according to this, it says you, you had 1,874 winners in, in 2000, and you retired in 2002. I retired before that, actually. I, I retired in 99. Um, that was, that was um, my, my last rides were at Perth. I have um, a couple of winners, and then I went to, to America. I had a problem with my neck, uh, 98 and 99, reoccurred in 99, early 99. And I went to a guy, a kinesiologist in um, America after those th three winners at Perth. And he basically said, your neck's in not very good shape, and I advised <laughs> that you retire. And I spent about three months then, September, October, November, sort of running around a lot more doctors trying to get different opinions, yeah. someone that might get me back into, into shape. Uh, but it didn't happen. I actually officially retired in December nineteen ninety nine. Sad day, I imagine, for you, was it? Yeah, it was. It was hard, but it. You know, as a as a jump jockey, you're you're lucky if you know if you you certainly in those days. Um, John Franken retired sort of early thirties, I think. I've uh, been champion so many times, but um, at that stage, we always said if you can make thirty five, you've you've done well, yeah. and that was. That was the I was I was 35 at the time, so I'd love to have ridden till I was 40 or even more, but you know it wasn't possible at the time, and that's that's how it goes. You know, you play sport, you yeah. you will have an early retirement. So um, um, yeah, it's sad, but you've got to move on and you've got to do other things. That's that's just part and parcel of it. Occupational hazard, I guess, and I, I suppose you've probably got a list of bones and um, breaks that you've had from falls. Um, not too bad, really. Um, really. Yeah. I don't. I know AP um, Tony McCoy um, broke many, many bones. Um, yeah. I'm sure Skew broke quite a few. Peter Scudamore. I was very, very lucky. I broke two bones. Broke a bone in my, my hand, and um, did my sternum as well. I had oh. a horse um, land on me, yeah. and uh, fractured my sternum. But I was, I was very, very lucky. Obviously, you have concussions. Obviously, I had the injury with the neck that forced me to retire but uh as far as um you know breaking bones i was i was really lucky yeah oh, that's interesting and um just just going back to so 1874 is that about right for the number of winners or you, you, you... uh yep that's um that includes um ireland i think um the winners in ireland the winners of i rode one 1699 winners in in the UK, yeah. uh, but then I was riding first first jockey sort of those last three four years for Edward O'Grady, Dermot Weld in Ireland, and I was lucky had a had a, a couple of you know really good seasons in in Ireland as well. Uh, rode for Willie Mullins a bit, um, brilliant horse called Florida Pearl as as well. So um, 
yeah, it was it was a great way. Those last three or four years were definitely most most enjoyable years of of my career. No, so, I'm right, Zara. So I know AP's about four thousand odd, isn't it? I think winners. Yeah, right? he's four thousand. Um, yeah, just put show, shows my uh, <laughs> the, the standard. It's uh, I was. I think I had had the most winners when when I retired, but um, AP very soon passed it. I think it was it only took him to about 2002 before he he passed my record. And yeah. yeah, absolutely amazing. Both what AP has achieved, but also Richard Johnson now. Um, you know the amount of winners they've they've run absolutely incredible. So where, where does your 1800 odd sort of stand in in the ratings? With you know, I, I, I think. Um, there's Ruby and there's Barry Garrity. I think they've they've passed me. So if I'm fifth or sixth at the moment, I think that's that's around where I am. Yeah. Well, that's not bad, is it, Richard? Christ, I mean, not bad, but know. hey, the thing that gets me is when I look at it. You know, eighteen Cheltenham Festival winners, two Grand Nationals, four King Georges. You know, a, ch a champion. Her, it's, it's just incredible. There's probably not a big race that you haven't won. I should think, isn't it? Well, that was Richard Dunwoody talking to me in one of our in conversation programs. If you want to hear the whole thing, check out our podcast on www.threevalleysradio.com. One fresh and tender kiss At one stolen night of bliss Yeah, memories, memories. This is what this little section of the show is all about. We are going to try over the next few weeks to resurrect some memories for you with some of the classic races over the last 30-odd years. We will replay the commentaries and then we'll get in touch with the jockeys and have a chat with them and see what they remember about the race um, last week we started off with the first one which was floyd which we did with our own colin brown and uh, as the weeks go by we will try and tie up with the leading race that particular weekend as well if we can so uh, make sure you keep joining us at uh, seven o'clock on a friday night for the racing show and uh, roughly about halfway through the show, we will be doing our Memories feature, which I hope you'll like. Three little kids for the flavour Stir carefully through the days See how the flavour stays These are the dreams you will say Oh, Dean Martin there with the music for our memory section and this week we are going back to 2007 when the great Denman won the Ladbrokes Trophy better known then as the Hennessy Gold Cup They're away for the Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup with 21 fences in front of them is fairly steady to the first, the Rembrandt by four or five lengths to Dream Alliance, the great Darjean towards the outside, and Denman landed about fourth, wide of snowy morning. Then uh, strong flow and 
nowhere. Don Dorjavel up the inside Bible Lord always waning. Madison de Burley and Point Barrow. Juvenier is further back as they jump the second, which is an open ditch, and they all land safely. Character building towards the rear with New Alco in these early stages, together with Bowley's Abraganti and Patsy Hall is the back marker. Here's fence number three. Sir Rembrandt takes it in white-faced dream alliance in second Way to the left is Darjean with Denman there the light green sleeves the big horse under Sam Thomas as they continue down the back straight snowy morning in the yellow jacket towards the right further right Dom Dorjavel as Rembrandt just a little bit awkward at the next towards the outside in a noseband is Madison de Burley just inside him to the right of Madison is always waning the extreme left was Point Barrow and there is the top weight in about fourth place as they clear the next Alco just a bit, a bit slow towards the rear of the field there. About to turn left-handed now, out of the back straight for the first time and they'll start a run downhill towards the cross fence on the side of the course and it's Sir Rembrandt by a couple of legs or so to Dream Alliance and Dodge on second and third. Sir Rembrandt, James White leading the way, Devon in fourth, then Strong Flow, the 2003 winner, Snowy Morning, Tony McCoy on the inside. He's got that horse under a strength, the green jacket of nowhere, always waiting. Madison de Burley, Juvenier is in amongst them. And they're followed by Bible Lord held up as well with Abraganti as they jump the cross fence, skimming over the birch, Patsy Hall at the back of the field as they now head towards the home turn. Sir Rembrandt very much held together here. Jockeys having learned from the earlier races when perhaps they did go a bit too quick. And this will be one of the slowest run Hennessy's by the look of things. Sir Rembrandt from Dream Alliance, Darjean, Denman in fourth place. Then Strong Flow, Juvenier, White Sleeves, White Cap, Mick Fitzgerald riding for Nicky Henderson, the colours successful aboard Trebolgan a couple of years ago. The first down the home straight, Sir Rembrandt, Dreamline, Denman jumping right up, and Snowy Morning is down there. Snowy Morning, and Dom Dorjaval was very badly hampered indeed, got stopped in his tracks, as now they head to the open ditch. Sir Rembrandt almost joined by Denman, and a good jump by Denman there, took him just into the lead. The others are safely over. Dom Dorjaval has shuffled right back to last now as they continue towards the next lane fence. McCoy getting to his feet is the Rembrandt and Denver from Dream Alliance. Darjean the wide outside. Nowhere in the green jacket, about fifth in strong flow. Followed by Bible Lord Juvenier, always waving character building, making a bit of ground into the midfield as they jump the next lane fence. And Denver and Rembrandt together there. Back in the field is Abraganti. Uh, towards the rear, New Alco with Bo Lees and Point Barrow, Madison de Burley, Patsy Hall. And finally, Dom Dorjavel, and confirming that the champion jockey did get to his feet after that left over the water jump with a circuit left to travel. Denman, the outside of Sir Rembrandt. There are three legs on Dream Alliance and Darge on third and fourth. Nowhere is fifth, followed by Strong Flow. Then Bible Lord and Juvenier. Character building is next from Always Waning and New Alco back on the inside. Abraganti continues to be held up in the second half of the field. Patsy Hall towards the inside and the favourite Snowy Morning is the one, the only horse out of the race. Denman having gone off at five to one, pretty easy to back as they run down the back straight at the next plane fence. The Rembrandt and the Denman together there. Uh, Dom Dorjavel made a very serious blunder. Uh, it's not going to be his day, but the look of things. He's in last place uh, again, and it's Sir Rembrandt and Denman at this open ditch. Both jumping beautifully, and the state by nowhere in fourth or fifth place there. Darjean to his outside. 
and now on to the next. And still Sir Rembrandt and Denman with Dream Alliance in third. Strong flow in the orange jacket, Darjean. Then Juvenir and Bible Lord nowhere in the green colours. Character building the grey, then New Alco. Abriganti still travels kindly in behind these, followed by Bowlees as they now head on towards the next plane fence. This is the 15th of 21, and Denman and Sir Rembrandt. Sir Rembrandt was on the near side of Denman. The others sail over. Dom Dorjavel only just coming to it. Surely he'll be pulled up. And heading towards the last in the back straight. Sam Thomas on Denman. So Rembrandt and James White on the near side, followed by Dream Alliance, nowhere. Juvenier made a mistake there. Uh, Darjean making ground on the far side, then with strong foe. Bible Lord getting into a yellow jacket. Bible Lord's going well. Uh, nowhere on the inside. And this is the leading bunch of seven horses leaving the back straight. But Denman, despite his big weight, is powering on in the lead here. And he's got one or two of them in trouble here. And Sam Thomas hasn't moved a muscle yet as they run now towards the cross fence. And it's Denman coming towards the fifth last fence from Dream Alliance in second place. This is five out in the Hennessy. Denman came into it, measured it very well. Dream Alliance over in second. Bible Lord is third. Thomas looking round to see where the others are. And a lot of them are really struggling. Can he see it out? He's got the home straight to cover. The crowd are getting very excited here. Those are back Demon. They're, they're getting very confident indeed. Dream Alliance is under pressure in second place. Bible Lord's back in third. Character building begins to run on now in fourth place. Abriganti very confidently ridden in fifth. But this is four out. Denman comes to it. About five lengths clear of Dream Alliance. Character building stays on into third place now. Past uh, the weakening Bible Lord. This is the final open ditch for Denman. He comes in to take it. Put himself right. Good jump again from Dream Alliance. Character building. A stout there. Back in third place. Then uh, back in the field. Strong flow was the faller. Bible Lord is fourth. Abriganti is fifth. Denman just being held together. Another great jump in the second last. From Dream Alliance. Then character building. They're clear of Bible Lord and Abriganti. And Juvenera Madison de Burley. Now Sam Thomas gives Denman a wake-up call as he runs towards the final fence. He's got 11 stone 12 on his back. He's deep in the Well, there you have it. Denman winning the 2007 Hennessy Cognac Gold Cup, or better known as the Labrick Trophy these days. And we were lucky enough to get hold of part owner Harry Finley. OK, well, good afternoon, Harry. Thanks for joining us again so soon after your epic performance last week. But um, basically, I want to talk to you about Denman and winning at Newbury. Just just talk me through the elation, the, the tension, the... The, the elation at the end of, of winning that race with Denman, who, who, who won it so comfortably as well. Um, yeah, I mean, as a youngster, Newbury was the first race course I ever visited. And um, so the, the Hennessy win in 2007 was probably about the, my favourite ever Denman win. A bit less pressure in the Gold Cup. And, of course, my pal Frank Harvey was Paul, Paul Barber and... Mainly Paul Barber and Nichols weren't that keen on going for the Hennessy because Paul Barber had lost a couple of horses 
there in previous years and he, he was adamant about staying away and it was my pal Frank who actually done a dossier and went down and we went down and saw Paul Barber and gave the reasons for why we thought it was a race we should go for so it, um, that made it that made it really special because not being talented or being involved in any sports to actually be involved at the fine edge of making decisions like that made that, that win so special and on the day itself it was just really that, like I say, as a youngster, the Hennessy was always the big meet of the year, and I was at forward to it. And I remember Borough Hill lad winning it, and telling my mum that no horse will ever give that much weight away again. And you know, the chances of my mum owning owning a horse like Denver when Borough Hill lad one would have been yeah. a million to one. So that that made it a bit of a surreal experience on the morning of the race. And um, of course, you know, we, we had a box on the day with a lot of good friends there, including Frank. I watched the race with him and. Sam was fantastic on him, as he always was. And um, like a lot of people thought he'd one jump in the water and with the circuit to go, he, 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 did, he more or less hit the front and was jumping so well. And the cross fence, five, five out, um, five out when he jumped the cross fence, I'll just shout out that he's absolutely shitting. And the whole <laughs> box, was, the whole box just started screaming and jumping up and down and the noise up the home straight. There's them four fences up the home straight, but, um, it was just so good, and I was hugging Frank as I crossed the line, and the whole thing—it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a surreal experience. Really, it was great. So you're not one of these people that sits there quietly watching. You really go for it, do you? Oh no, no. If you, I don't think there's any feeling whether it's a dog or a horse or anything really. When you know you're going to win, it's just a great buzz. Yeah. To enjoy the rest of the race, and with Denver, you could quite often do that quite a long way out. Um, you know, and uh, that, 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 made, that made it a lot of fun. The whole experience with Denman from his early days right through to, to you know, we were just we're just fantastic. But that, that Hennessy winning in 2007 was one I remember vividly, and it was, it was great to be a part of it. Well, that was part owner Harry Finley just reliving the 2007 Hennessy Gold Cup win. And now we're going to hear from jockey Sam Thomas on his recollections of the big day at Newbury. Well, Sam, what can you remember about the ride? Um, well, look, I mean, I have very fond memories of, of, of the whole race, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I remember the build-up uh, like it was yesterday, and obviously he, he had such a big reputation um, that uh, he attracted a lot of support from, 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 from you know, the, the, the racing community. So um, I remember one of the things back then was he used to sort of get a bit, um, a little bit mulish if you like at the start he'd walk around really lazily and he, he, there's a bit of a worry that he wouldn't jump off so yeah. first, uh, the, the most important thing was making sure we got him away at the start and um, he, he was very well behaved to be honest and didn't put a foot wrong and then obviously it was more about just keeping him as relaxed as possible back then he used to be quite keen in his races but it was I mean he was carrying a lot of weight wasn't he yeah no obviously he, he was carrying top weight um but that sort of didn't matter for him. Obviously, he was a big horse in stature, so he was one of those that was well able to deal with uh, carrying carrying uh, top weights. And, um, yeah, like I say, it didn't really bother him. There's certain horses that you, you sort of would ride with sort of top weights and handicaps that couldn't take it. And then, you know, you sort of ride horses with, with bottom weights in races that sort of um, have that edge. But it didn't really make a difference to him what, what, uh, what weight he carried. He was such a, such a big powerhouse. And at what point in the race did you feel, you know, this is the point now, we'll we'll kick on now at this point? Um, well, if I'm completely honest, I didn't, I didn't do any kicking on 
he was the one that took me to the front up the straight and we jumped the water in front and uh, like I say, he was pretty keen and wanted to get on with things uh, in that stage of his career. Uh, and it was more of a case of just keeping the lid on him and keeping keeping him as relaxed as possible, not trying to waste too much energy and let him burn himself out. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, like I say, the feel that he was giving me when he was up the water, turning away from the stands, was pretty special and um, didn't really ever come off the bridle, to be honest. He just uh, quickened away nicely up the straight. And by that stage, he'd, he'd, had, he'd had most of the field well well cooked at that point anyway yeah looking back on your career is he is he the best horse you've ever ridden uh good question i was in the right place at the right time i rode some fabulous horses for mr nichols and venetia williams um you'd have to be right up there with the very best of them i was lucky enough to have ridden big bucks and quarto star and many others but um yeah for me i guess he's the one that i have the most fondest memories of riding um and yeah, now I'm training. I think it's um, it's only it only becomes clear how special he was, um, you know. And, and if I was able to ever get my hands on one, I'd be very very lucky. But um, those sort of horses don't come round very often. No, you, you mentioned Corto Star there, and obviously you know same stable. Um, how did the two compare from from your perspective riding them? Um, I think uh, Corto maybe raced behind the bridle a, l- a little bit more. I mean, like, I'm not the one to see, sort of judge Corto too much. I only rode him twice. I won on him once and I fell off him once. So, yeah. uh, Ruby will, um, will will sort of be able to give you a better opinion on him. But uh, in my eyes, Denman made life easy for me anyway. Um, he, he's, a, he's a strong traveller. He jumped uh, very swiftly, very quickly. He's sort of attacking fences. I only ever got to sit on Corto Star first time out on the racetrack uh, in both occasions so although he was fit he may have not have been at his best when I rode him so yeah. Um, but uh, yeah I very much enjoyed riding them and yeah he took you he took you into the race he took you where you wanted to go um, and he had the had the stamina and the ability to back it up at the finish well thank you Sam that's a brilliant uh, assessment of the horse and and you know it must have been a fantastic day for you I'm sure and uh, you know long may the memories continue for you Absolutely no. Um, like I say, he's a very special horse and one I'll never forget. Sure. Well, thanks ever so much, Sam. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you. Well, that was Denman's jockey there, Sam Thomas, who's now, of course, a very successful trainer. But Sam was uh, giving his thoughts on his ride on Denman, and how um, wonderful it must have been to be to be able to say, well, you know, I didn't even have to really ask him to go for it because he just did it. What a horse Denman was. What a horse. Well, now it's time we're going to catch up with Joe Tizard over at Melbourne Port. We haven't spoken to Joe for a while, or Colin come to that, but uh, Joe's managed to spare us a couple of minutes this afternoon. Joe, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's a while since we've spoken to uh, your father on, on the show. Suddenly things look really good at the Tizard Yard. Yeah, no, it's good. It was a, a long season last season. Um, but, um, so they're fit and healthy again now, and they're, they're running. They're, they're all running well, which is um, which is nice, which makes us competitive and um, makes our jobs a lot easier. Absolutely, and I mean, certainly looking at uh, Lost in Translation and Fiddler on the Roof, they both looked, uh, you know, well up for it. Um, a little bit unlucky, I thought, with Fiddler on the Roof, really. Yeah, it ran a blinder, you know, so it's never so it's frustrating when you get beaten a half length in a big race like that. But it's um. You know, in a in a horse nearly bulking him sort of four eight was wasn't ideal either. But um, but you know he still ran his race. You know he can't win them all, but um, not a lot you can do about it. But it's um, he ran a lovely race, and oh, well, there will be he will have a big day. There's no doubt. 
and and do you think you're going to run with with him and um, lost in translation in the, in the King George or what? Mm, uh, no, I don't know. It might be too soon for Philly. Quite a hard race. So he'll bypass the King George um, if the grain stays like it is now then, then lost in translation will go there yeah um, he won it too heavy though um, so so yeah so they've, they've, won, they've both kept the entry this week and we'll just see um, we've got a couple of weeks to decide really but I, I think it'll probably be soon enough for the fiddler and have you got any other likely candidates that you might uh, you know put into the race no there'll be only two left in um because there was another closing stage on Tuesday, so there are only two left in it. Uh-huh. Um, so right. we'll just uh, uh, if the ground stays right, lost in translation will go there. But it, but I just wouldn't want to run him on on heavy ground and bottom him out. Yeah, I take it Native River's not running then. No, he's not in a King George. You know, the track doesn't suit him, and you know we we, we promised ourselves to. He's going to go up to the many glades of entry this Saturday. So, um, oh right, yeah. So, so we just try and we've left him in a in a Welsh National as well the day after the King George. But um, you know, the track doesn't suit him, so, so there's, there's no point taking him where it doesn't suit him. Yeah, yeah. So we might see him on Saturday in the many glades, then, or is it Sunday? Yeah, that's the plan. They've had enough rain up there, and it's the soft side now. So, um, so that is the plan for him to go up there on Saturday. Good. Well, best of luck with that, Joe. Um, thanks ever so much for talking to us and uh, keep in touch. Come on. Cheers, Eddie. Thanks a lot, Joe. Cheers, then. Bye-bye. Well, that was Joe Tizard talking to us from his Melbourne Port base where everything's going really well at the moment. And somebody else who's having an equally good time is Jamie Snowden up at Lambourne. Well, hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining us again today. As usual, you're always reliable, always there where we need you. It's brilliant. So thanks very much for that. Um, no worries at all. Great to be on. Um... Winner yesterday. Winner yesterday. Everyone, everyone loves a winner, so it's always nice to keep the ball rolling. Mm. Um, so that's um, 20, 20, 28 jumps winners um, this season. So, yeah, keep keep it rolling. Tell me about the winner yesterday, then. How, how well did he do? Um, yeah, Hardy Desoy. He um, he won by half a length, but he, he deservedly got his head in front. He's been running some mighty big races Um both, both in graded company, novice handicap company, and open handicap company, I think he's been placed in six of his seven starts over fences. So, um, including at the Cheltenham Festival, it's nice that he could uh, actually finally get his head in front. And um, and yeah, it's always always nice to win. And and a fifth up at market raising this afternoon with uh, with uh, Gavin on board. Fortunate Fred. Fortunate Fred, yeah, not not first run for for well over a year, not not knocked it out. He should have a future. Right, okay. But um, looking at the uh, entries, you've got a few entries lined up for the weekend and next week. Um, anything sort of startling that stands out to you? Well, we've got Hogan's Height running in the um, in the Beachy Chase, which is one of the one of the feature races over the Grand National Fences on on Saturday. Yeah, and. Um, he won over the Grand National Fences uh, December 19, um, ran in the National last year. He had, a, he had a very interrupted season last year. Nothing really went his way. He jumped out of the field and picked up, a, picked up an injury and then got a thorn in a joint. Um, and nothing, nothing went his way. So he's had a clear run this time around, ran in the Grand Sefton a month ago. Um, two and a half miles on good ground was a little bit short for him. The step up in trip to three miles here... Um, on, on softer ground with the handicapper giving him a chance. Hopefully things are, hopefully the stars are aligning. 
Good, jolly good. And and what is the ground like now from a, from a purely from a racing point of view? Because we haven't had that much rain down here in Somerset. I, I, you know, what's it been like up further up with you, Lise? Well, yeah, <coughs> um, Wincanton today I think is good to firm ground. It's mad, isn't it, for mm. being the second of December and still talking about fast ground. Um, we we uh, as far as Lambourne is concerned, we we had a, a fair bit of snow over the weekend and that was pretty chilly. Um, we've gone from a very dry warm autumn straight to a very chilly snowy winter with not much rain in between mm. um so the ground is still pretty quick but um haydock yesterday happened to be very heavy ground um they'd watered quite heavily and had the snow and as it thawed it turned into into pretty deep ground so um it's quite changeable variable between tracks really yeah absolutely i didn't know you'd had snow up as, as, as you know far south as lambord because uh yeah, I thought it was all up north, but uh, obviously not. Yeah, we 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 had a we had a fair bit of snow at the weekend. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cold. Was it? Mm. Oh well, there you go. And uh, anything else out of these uh, these Saturday Sunday runners? Um, Caleb Picole goes to Weatherby. Um, he he won at um, he won at Worcester last time out. He's gone up a few pounds on the handicap. Runs again in a novice handicap off top weights. Um, competitive race, but certainly he goes there with a chance. And College Oak? College Oak, I think, is going to go to Utoxer on Tuesday. Right, OK. All right, then, Jamie. Well, that's a, that's a good uh, insight into what's happening. Thank you very much for that, as usual. And um, don't get caught in the snow too badly, and we'll speak to you next week. Perfect. Look forward to it. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Jamie. Cheers for now. Take care. All the best. And you. Bye-bye. Well, that was Jamie Snowden up at Lambourne, and now it's time to catch up with Nick Schofield, who I think is on his way back from Leicester. Good afternoon, Nick. Uh, a busy day for you up at Leicester today, and we're catching you now on the way home. Um, close with Zabiel champion, I see, but uh, not quite close enough on that one, but uh, you had a 50-1 to one shot a couple of days ago. Yeah, busy. Been busy. Um, yeah, they, uh, they all ran well today, but no winners. Can't win every day, but yeah, I had a 50-1 to one shot last um, Monday. Um, wasn't that much of a shock to the nice horse, and Sarah Humphrey's also in great form. But, um, yeah, it was, it was good to get another winner, and we got a big weekend ahead, so very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Where, where are you over the weekend? I'm heading up to Aintree. Um, I'm at Exeter on Friday, and um, Aintree on Saturday for some... i uh, got four nice rides, and um, one including um, over the national fences. So, um be a good warm-up for the Grand National in April. Oh, that'd be okay then. And um, uh, what are you driving up there? Uh, i got four nice rides, one for Henry Dale in Novice Hurdle. Bride um, is on the storm, former Grade 1 winner. Um, really looking forward to riding him, sat on him this morning. And um, also rode in the Grand National last year, Lord de Manil, uh, runs in the beach. He'll like conditions, more, more the rain, the merrier. And... Um, then I ride a nice horse called Cakeson for Alistair Ralph in the last. Um, so, yeah, busy day. And then we head to Huntington on Sunday again for a nice ride for Jack Barber. Also finished second at Cheltenham the last day, um, flying Zara. So um, it'd be nice if she could go one better in the list of event there. Yeah, absolutely. You're looking forward to riding the, um, the national course in, I suspect? Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously slightly different to what we do on a daily basis. Um, my horse, he, he jumped well enough at the Grand National last year, but the ground conditions were too quick for him, so we're hoping it's a bit softer. Um, he seems in good form at home, and um, yeah, we go there with every chance, hopefully. What was the weather like up at Leicester? Because we've not had any snow down here, but I hear they've had a fair bit of snow at Lambourne over the weekend, so I was quite surprised to hear yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen snow on my travels, but um, it was plus one today. It was quite cold, quite nippy in the uh, bridges 
colours. But um, yeah, I know it uh, was just pleased racing was on. There was an inspection this morning when the minus temperatures crept in, so it was pleased racing went ahead. And um, yeah, no, all good. We um, as long as we keep racing, we're all happy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, Nick, thanks for talking to us today, mate. Um, drive carefully on your way home and have a good weekend up at uh, Aintree. I should be watching, so uh, and no doubt the money will go down, so do your best. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a go. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Nick. Take it easy, mate. Cheers. And you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was Nick Schofield there on his way back from a busy day at uh, Leicester and obviously looking forward to the weekend at Aintree. Well, now it's time to catch up with Gavin Sheard on his way back from Market Raisin, and I will apologise for the uh, the sound quality, but the old mobiles weren't working quite as well as they might do. All right, well, Gavin, uh, thanks ever so much for coming back to me. Uh, lovely to have you on the show again. Um, busy day at Market Raisin, but not totally successful. Yeah, I had three right there. Um, didn't quite go to plan, but uh, coming back safe and sound. Um, but Saturday's sort of really the, the, the big day for you, I suppose, isn't it? You've got three good rides up at Aintree. Yeah, I've, got, I've actually got one tomorrow um, at Sandown. Um, that runs Brave Kingdom. He's, he's running a grade two. And, yeah, look, looking forward to uh, Aintree Saturday. I've got a nice book of rides there. Yeah, yeah. Well, of, of the th- is it three or four you've got at Aintree, I certainly I saw three, I think. The, the one, Alan King's one, looks okay. looks a good bet. Yeah, midnight referendum. Um, yeah, she, she, she's such a good piece. Um, hopefully she'll run well. Um, I got one in juvenile there. Um, that one first time out, but it's a listed race, so it's a race. Simply the bet he's running in the um, big race about there, the grade one. Um, he's stepping up in trip. Um, but yeah, he, 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 he's entitled to go in the big race. Now. Um, and then I've got Hogan's height over the national fences and he's the last yeah well because that's for, for Jamie isn't it and Jamie seems sort of hopeful that the going will suit him but the going looked pretty rough up at market racing today from what I can see on the telly yeah it was um, driving up there they, they, we found out that there was an, we were cold by the inspection um, but it was a lovely day on the way up and then when we got there it was bitter cold um the frost didn't leave the ground even even after we left race. Yeah, yeah. But um, but what about Aintree Saturday? I mean, is is the going going to be uh, fairly good? Do you think? When I say good, I mean I good good, good for the for, uh, from the point of view of yeah, riding on it. Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be lovely grounds. Yeah, Aintree do a fantastic job above there. Um, the jungles are lovely cover grass. They don't get an awful lot of racing. Um, so that, that always helps. Good. Well, let's hope you have a successful weekend up there, old dog. Well, that was Gavin Sheen on his way back from Market Raisin there. Sorry that the uh, sound quality wasn't as great as it could be, but that's mobile phones for you, isn't it? Well, now it's time to catch up with our old mate, Gary Wiltshire, up at Bresbet and see what special offers they've got for us this week. Well, good morning, Gary. What gems have you got for us today from Bresbet? Uh, yeah, good after, well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Everything's good about this weekend, Aidy. Yeah. Uh, Aidy, we've got so many offers this weekend, honestly. Really, for me to go on and just give them out to you, I think there's about 70 offers we've got this week. So <laughs> all I can say to you is look on com. We've got specials, every football match, uh, who's 
scores first, who sneezes first, who has the first prize. Everything there is aided yeah. we've got on there this weekend. So I suggest look at breastbet.com. Got great racing at Sandown, haven't we? The Tingle Creek. Yeah. And yeah. this, uh, well, this weekend, the racing's fantastic. Chepstow, great card at Chepstow, Aidy. And, uh, you know, we do offers on the morning as well. So, you know, all I suggest you is in the morning, Saturday morning, before you look at your paper, have a look online and you'll see what value we're giving. But we're well over the odds than any other firm. On now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one bet, one bet that does uh, stand out for me we're doing is Burnley, Brighton and Liverpool all to win. Right. We're doing a special on that. Yeah. And also we're doing another one, a bet, a bet that I love, Aidy, when I have a three football bet. Both teams to score in all the 3 p.m. Premier League games tomorrow. So, like, you know, Saturday, so all the 3 o'clock matches, both teams to score. I love that bet for the simple reason, because if you, you know, if you get a couple up at half-time, you're looking well, aren't you, for the second yeah. half. Also, we're doing another one, Liverpool, Forest and Sunderland all to win. And to be truthful with you, you know, I think Liverpool will win. I think Forest to win, and I think Sunderland will win as well. We're doing a special there, all to win. And it's, it's, honestly, there's so many bets there. It's, it's unbelievable, honestly. PSG, Real Madrid and Napoli all to win as well. You know, but look on the internet first, aid, and that's where you'll see all the value, mate. I'm, I'm going to be looking for this who's going to sneeze first in the Man United game, all right? The way, the way me and you've been lately, uh, <laughs> if it was me and you playing, we'd be even to two, Aidy, wouldn't we? We don't stop sneezing anyway. Yeah. But, uh, and also, Aidy, uh, we're, we're doing... Uh, I spoke to uh, Dave Perry, the managing director of the firm this week, and we're sorting out the Cheltenham previews for next year. Now, you know, we I love doing the one near you. Uh, where was that? At, at the rugby club, we did it up there. Where was that at? I forget where it was now. It was two years ago, because last year, with the COVID and things. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to do a load of Cheltenham previews this year. So uh, that'll be great as well. Looking forward for that. Yeah. And uh, we want you on the panel, AD, as well, because... You, I've been told you're, you're a good judge on this racing game, so uh, <laughs> get you on the panel with a press bet. Well, I know all the best judges are in the old Bailey, aren't they? Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> well, that was our old mate Gary Wilcher there from Bresbet. Got cut off a little bit sharpish there. Sorry about that, Gary. But um, we were running out of time there. So uh, just make sure you go to the Bresbet.com website. Check out all the special offers on the specials page. It'll be worth your while, I can assure you. Anyway, now it's time to catch up with... The greatest race caller in the business, none other than Simon Holt. Okay, you go ahead. Okay, well, good afternoon, Simon. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, have you got over your holiday in Spain and all that sangria? <laughs> well, it was it, it was actually a little bit cold out in Spain, and I don't think I would probably go in November again. But it was just mm. circumstances. What with the uh, the difficulties of travel and uh, the uncertainties, etc. And uh, it was a little bit cold, but still a nice break away and uh, very keen to get back into the racing and uh, looking forward to uh, being in the commentary box over the next two days at Sandown. Yeah, absolutely. It's a couple of big days, isn't it, Sandown and Aintree? Absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's one of those great weekends of the jump season with the Beecher Chase at uh, Aintree. And now the many clouds chase as well, which is a, a very good conditions chase. And, but uh, pride of place has to go to Sandown with the Tingle Creek, which has uh, served up some tremendous finishes and very high quality winners over the 
the last 20, 30 years, right back to Desert Orchid. You know, he won yeah. this race, Quarto Star, won it a couple of times. Moscow Flyer, perhaps most famously in 2004, when he beat Azerti up and World Chief, which was just a magnificent race and a very high-quality race in terms of the, the ratings of the, the first three horses home. So it's uh, served up many a treat as the Tingle Creek. Disappointingly small field, though, Simon. Well, it's never a huge field, and it's usually a field of quality rather yeah. than quantity. Yeah. We've only got five runners declared for Saturday, but it does include Chacun Pourçois, who has pretensions, I think, to being the leading two-mile chaser, but he rather blotted his copybook in the Queen Mother Champion Chase uh, last season. Uh, it's only his second defeat, actually, of... Uh, uh, his career since coming over from France. His only previous defeat was at the hands of Aplutar at uh, Leperstown back in 2019. And there was no disgrace in that because obviously Aplutar is an extremely good horse. But uh, he was, it was a little bit disappointing that he didn't find more up the hill at Cheltenham in the Queen Mother Champion Chase last March, where he was only third behind Put the Kettle On and Newbie Negra with Greener Team back in fourth, and both Nubi Negra and Greenatine take him on again in the Tingle Creek chase. Now, Willie Mullins suggested that uh, Shaken Persuel wasn't at his best in the Queen Mother Champion chase, and he certainly looked a much more formidable horse, or the horse we're used to seeing winning these races in Ireland when he won the champion chase at Punchestown in April. And in that race, he made short work of the opposition, really beating Alaho, who'd been so impressive in the Ryanair chase at the Cheltenham Festival, although he was dropping back in distance to two miles. And Nubi Negra was well beaten off in third at Punchestown, but uh, one could easily feel that uh, perhaps he had enough by then. He'd run a big race at the uh, Cheltenham Festival, and maybe that had left its mark. It's going to be fascinating. Chacon Persoir is about uh, 11 to 10 favourite. He's the clear top-rated horse of the race. And then it's very close on ratings between Nubi Negra, who was an impressive winner of the Schler chase at the uh, Cheltenham November meeting, beating uh, Polizolog there by six lengths and uh, really travelled well and quickened up well. And Greenatine, who probably needed his first run of the season when carrying a very big weight in the Horden Gold Cup. And in that race, his stable companion, Hitman, who runs again here, was in second. But there was a, there's a big weight turnaround this time, and Greener team will be much better suited by the conditions of this race. There's not too much between Greener team and Nubi Negra on, on their Queen Mother Champion Chase run and on the ratings. On the rating, Chacun Pourçois really should take plenty of beating. But, uh, you know, that, that uh, disappointment in the champion chase just uh, lurks at the back of your mind and you just wonder whether uh, uh, he's going to throw in an, another performance like that or, or if he's going to be as impressive as he was on his final start last season. What about Rachel Blackmore, though? I mean, she seems to be sweeping all before her. And, I, you know, I see on the, the handicap rating she's... Only won five four, but um, nonetheless, her and Henry de Bromhead, they certainly seem to be uh, coming up with the winners all the time. Yes, well, you're talking about Captain Guinness, and, it, and he's a he's a good horse. There's no question about that. Maybe a little bit accident prone. He's uh, 
He, he fell at uh, Leopardstown last February. He didn't get round at Punchestown in April behind Energumen. But he came back with a win uh, nice uh, last month. I just think that uh, in this class of race, he's got a bit to find, as the rating suggests. And, and he's on the same rating as Hitman. Uh, Hitman is, is definitely on the up. But I, I think, you know, in these conditions races, the ratings don't often lie too much. And it really does look as though it'll be between Shaq and Poursois, who's got a healthy eight pounds advantage over Nubi Negro, who's a pound ahead of Greenatine. I can see Greenatine running very well. He beat Altior at the end of last season over the course and distance in the celebration chase at Sandown. And uh, with uh, Bryony Frost in the saddle and given, given what she's been going through this week, it would uh, be uh, quite a victory if Greenatine could uh, go and win this Tingle Creek and give Paul Nichols his 12th win in this race. That's quite incredible, isn't it? He's yeah, had 11 yeah. winners of the Tingle Creek. He is, certainly is a, a very, very good trainer, that's for sure, isn't he? <laughs> certainly is and he just targets these big races and uh, I you know I'm inclined to believe him when he said that uh, Greenatine needed the race in the Horden Gold Cup he said that was what he was expecting and I'm sure that he's uh, trained the horse for this race it was the obvious target for him really after his defeat of Altior uh, over the course of distance last April and of course his uh, very decent run in the champion chase he's a horse that has improved a lot in the last 12 months or so. Mm, mm. Well, time will tell, I suppose, on Saturday, and we'll soon know then. But uh, uh, do you think do you think all this this uh, problems that Bryony Frost is having with this hearing is going to affect her performances? I think it'll be more of a relief to be back on horseback. I, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, that's what she enjoys doing most. I mean, a personal view, you know, without commenting on on the the case but uh, i've always been tremendously impressed with her yeah. as, a, as a rider i think she's a beautiful beautiful jockey to watch she seems very well balanced presents the horses very well at fences and uh, of course her performances on frodon have been superb oh, yeah. A, yeah that that is a match as i've said in commentary a match made in racing heaven frodon and Bryony frost and, yeah. uh, you know I, I i couldn't really find much to criticize her in terms of her her riding uh, performances, so uh, I think it might be a, a relief, a breath of rather cold, fresh air at Sandown <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, I think it will be rather cold as well. Uh, <laughs> it's um, been a bit chilly here in the southeast today, I can tell you. I don't know what it's been like with you, but um, it's been uh, a beautiful day, but an extremely cold day here. Yeah, it's been cold here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it, uh, a little bit of rain as well, but um, that's about it, really. But uh, where, where are we going now? We're going up to Aintree now, are we? Well, I've just mentioned a, a couple of the other races at Sandown because it is a, it is a stellar card always yeah. at Sandown. We've got the Henry VIII Novices Chase, which can often be a, a really good guide to, with regard to the leading novice chasers of the season. And third time lucky goes for the Dan Skelton team, and he's been very impressive indeed over fences so far in two starts he's very free going and um, he wouldn't want to be quite so keen as he was perhaps at Cheltenham last time out against what could be stiffer uh, opposition he's up against this Paul Nichols horse Il Rodoto who won that handicap chase at uh, Newbury on Laverick's trophy day from yeah. a lightweight he's only a four year old 
and he gets weight from all the other runners. So uh, that looks quite a, an interesting piece of placing by the aforementioned Paul Nichols, uh, Il Rodoto, and um, there's other uh, recent winners over fences like Do Your Job, Edward Stone, Stolen Silver, and Warlord. So it's a very good race indeed. Mm. And later on, it's the London National, which is always a bit of a highlight. It's always quite a dramatic race on Tingle Creek Day. Day Sharber for the Philip Hop team has got a pretty good record on the course. And Larry for Gary Moore has also won on the course. They look to be uh, leading contenders in that. And then at the end of the day is the December Handicap Hurdle, which is always a, another hot race. And Harry Fry uh, sends out Metier. Now, this is a fascinating horse, Metier. He was the horse that went into the Supreme Novices Hurdle last uh, March with uh, a very very strong chance uh, in the betting. He was an 11-2 to chance, but he didn't give his running whatsoever. And previously, he looked really smart when winning three times over hurdles in novice company, including at Sandown uh, when he won the, uh, uh, the Tolworth novices hurdle in January. So Mathieu, in a handicap, uh, looks a very interesting runner. And uh, I'm sure that uh, if Harry Fry's got him right... You know, he's going to be thereabouts. He's a, he's a very smart horse, very talented horse, I think, and well, not to be written off yet. What about Colin Tizard? He's got a couple in it, I see, and uh, suddenly things have started to go right for him. Um, what, do you, what do you think about him? Well, yes, the Tizard horses, the, the, the one, um, the one um, silver lining to dark clouds when the trainer has a, has a bad season is that in the following season, his horses can be a little bit better handicapped than they might otherwise have been. And uh, um, just just looking at that uh, London National, for example, Christmas in April yeah. goes for the Colin Tizard team. And, you know, he's a really stout star. This is a three-and-a-half-mile chase. And, uh, you know, he, he's uh, run a couple of fair races in his last two starts, so you wouldn't rule him out. He runs Warlord in the Henry VIII novices chase. And, and um, one I do fancy, actually, which isn't on uh, the terrestrial TV, ITV coverage, is a horse called Triple Trade, who carries top weight in the novice handicap hurdle, 115. And uh, this horse was fourth behind his well-regarded stable companion, JPR1, I think is, is the name of the horse, at um, Exeter. And uh, that was a very strong race, I think. And uh, Triple Trade looks a horse that's going to win a few races. And uh, he also runs, uh, interestingly, Elegant Escape, very yes. good staying chaser. Yeah. He runs that in the handicap hurdle. The horse has been off the course for over 600 days, but on his chasing uh, form, he's well handicapped. He's got a much lower mark over hurdles. Uh, he's a 33 to 1 chance in the December handicap hurdle. Uh, he is, as I say, coming back from uh, quite, a, quite a long absence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll keep an eye on all of those anyway. And uh, and then, of course, there's two big races at Aintree. Have you got any suggestions for them? Well, yes, the, the Beecher Chase is a, is a, a terrific uh, race. You know, it's uh, uh, over the Grand National Fences, which is always a little bit exciting. And uh, I just wonder if we we might see something. It may well be a first, actually, because this year the... The Sefton Chase and the Beecher Chase are being run on different cards, whereas they've been on the same card in, in recent years. And uh, a few weeks ago, Matt Totty, trained by Peter Bowen, 
won the Sefton chase in, in very good style, I thought, beating Senior Citizen, who's got an excellent record around the Aintree course. And I don't think the extra distance of the Beecher chase will be a problem to Mac Totty. And I always think when I'm looking at races, running at, run over the uh, Grand National fences, that, you know, it's a big advantage if you've got a horse that, that has shown that he likes it, that he yeah. can handle the big fences, the jacks on the course. And uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if Mac Totty created or, or completed this uh, quite rare double. It could be the first. I don't know. I'm, I'm not um, I'm not sure about that. But uh, it wouldn't have been possible in previous years or recent years because the Sefton and the Beach will run on the same same day. But yeah. this time, the Beach has run at this meeting. The Sefton took place a few weeks earlier, back in early November. And uh, he's gone up seven pounds for that, Mac Totty. And the way he finished off in the... Uh, Sefton, I wouldn't have thought that the extra distance would be any problem. And he clearly handled the course in, in tremendous style. So he's an interesting one in the Beecher chase, as is last season's Scottish Grand National when a mighty thunder who goes for the Lucinda Russell team. And, of course, Lucinda had that uh, really impressive winner, Ahoy Senor, at Newbury last week. Her horse is in good form at the moment. Mighty Thunder is a horse that usually needs a run before he strikes form. He's won second time out for the last two seasons. And he ran in the Charlie Hall chase at Weatherby first time out this season. And now he runs in this Beecher chase. Three and three miles, two furlongs, almost on the sharp side for him, really, given that he's won a Scottish National. Um, and also ran well in the Midlands Grand National as well. He was second in that. But uh, it still takes a bit of getting with that long run in at Aintree. So I could see him running a big race uh, along with Matt Totty in the uh, Beecher chase. Okay. And then a little earlier on, just to mention Colin Tizard again, you, you yes. asked about him. He runs that, his great old favourite, Native River, past Gold Cup winner yeah. in the Many Clouds chase, returning at the age of 11. And on the ratings in this conditions race, he's got every chance. And he's a... Uh, a horse that's uh, acted on this course before. Uh, he uh, won uh, this race back in 2019, uh, slamming Black Horton, and he was third in the race last year uh, when things probably didn't suit him because they had to admit a lot of the fences. I think all the fences were omitted in the home straight when he was third last year, and um, I think that probably uh, was at his to his disadvantage. But who knows? Maybe. He can come back and win again. He's an 11-year-old now, but, you know, what a great horse he's been yeah. for the yard. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, actually, we did a piece with uh, with Joe Tizard on, on the show for this week, and he certainly seems sort of quite upbeat about everything, really. That, you know, it, obviously like a relief, and, and you can understand why after such a bad season last season that it's all sort of beginning to go nicely now. Yes, it seems to be knitting into place much better mm. this season. Clearly, there was something amiss. Last year, they never really got going at all, did they? No, but uh, no. as I said earlier, you know, one of the benefits of that is that, that some of their handicappers will be uh, a little bit better off than, than perhaps might otherwise have been the case. But uh, he's a uh, native river, must be uh, probably the yard favourite, I, I imagine, must be. I mean, what a, what a tremendously game horse he's been. The going is soft at Aintree, so that's going to be in his favour. Yeah. Um, he, he's up against Dan Skelton's horse, Protectorat, who looks like going off favourite after his second in the Paddy Power Gold Cup. But he's a bit unproven over the distance, though, Protectorat, though the way he stayed on 
at Cheltenham over two and a half miles. You would think that he'd have a chance of staying three miles in a furlong, but he is not absolutely proven. And Kim Bailey also runs Imperial. He runs Kim Imperial Aura, who looked an exciting horse early last season. Then the wheels came off a little bit in his last two starts, and he pulled up at the Cheltenham Festival. And he was still going all right when falling in the Betfair chase first time out. Hard to say what would have happened, but he was still travelling all right, and uh, he'd be a leading contender on his best form as well. So that looks an exciting race and run in the name of the uh, the admirable Grand National winner, Manny Cloud. Well, it looks like it's going to be a pretty exceptional weekend then, uh, one way and another, doesn't it? Well, I think this period in the run-up to Christmas during the jump season is, is always, particularly on the Saturdays, is always extremely uh, exciting. And uh, we've had, a, I mean, I, I, I could not have picked last week's big race winner, Cloud, Cloudy Glenn, in yeah. a million years. He'd have been almost my last selection, I think, <laughs> in the field. But, yeah. but um, there we are. You get these upsets, don't you? But we've had some good winners. I mean, uh, Frodon's win in Dow, at Down Royal was, was fantastic. Um, that was a, a real highlight. Yeah. Um, of this season so far, I, I would say, and uh, I'm sure that uh, we'll, we're in for, for some terrific action this weekend in the run-up to Christmas and what should be, a, uh, what looks as though it's going to be a very competitive King George this year. Yeah, absolutely. OK, then, Simon, well, thank you ever so much for coming on. It's, uh, it's fantastic what you've given us, and, uh, you know, hopefully we've, we've got a few winners there for the listeners and uh, we'll all have a good, enjoyable day's racing. Not at all. Thank you, Aidy. Thanks for coming on. Cheers for now. Well, that was Simon Holt, and now it's time to catch up with the cheeky chappy, no less than Colin Brown. Well, good afternoon and good evening, Colin. Uh, what kind of a day have you had today? Every day's a good day if you wake up and you're living, that's what I say. So, um, yeah, my day's been good. Yeah. Um, little mundane, doing a little, uh, few jobs in the morning, but um, nah, good, days, good days racing, and... Uh, We've got some great week racing the weekend. Absolutely. And we're going to start at Aintree. With Aintree. That's the place to start. And I think the first race at Aintree is going to go to Donald McCain. He runs He runs a horse here um, that's called... <clears throat> forgot that it's called um, uh, Richmond Lake. Mm-hmm. And there was a winner at Bangor the other day. It's been placed in point-to-points in Ireland. It was uh, nicely bred, known by the exiles of the legs, Trevor Hemmings, who, of course, had Cloudy Glenn that won the um, Labrock Trophy last weekend. Um, so I think this one won't be too far away. Trevor used to love to have winners there at Taintree, and um, I don't think it'll be far away. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was at Aintree... Looking after the sponsors, I think it was John Smith that year, a few years ago, when one of his Grand National horses won. I can't think which one it was, but was it um, the thing that uh, thing that Ruby Walsh rode? And now you probably tell me in a second without looking it up. Um, anyhow, I was in the sponsors' box and they're watching the race. Trevor was just having a cup of tea, bit of cake, watching the race, and he had his cap on. And when they got to two out, looked like he was going to win. He took his cap off and shook it in the air and went, go on, go on, two or three times, and that was it. You know, most people have been going berserk, jumping off the stands. There he was, just sat down, cup of tea, shaking his hat. Oh, good but, for him. Yeah, great, great man. Yeah. yeah, sadly he died, obviously, for yeah. those that you that didn't realise. 
uh, maybe any listeners didn't realise Trevor Hemmings, great owner, great guy. Right, um, so that's the first winner. On to the second race. What wins this one? Well, I think a horse called Grange Clare Glory could. It's trained by David Pike. Um, it won at Ascot, or second at Ascot, should I say, last time out. Before that, it was a winner uh, only down at Newton Abbott, but it did it really well. A um, couple of horses out of the race have run okay. I think he'll be far away. Okay, yeah. fine. Oh, excuse me. You love to. Bless oh, you. Yeah. Yeah, bless me. I do beg your pardon. I was looking for the mute button and couldn't find it. <laughs> Anyhow, on to on to um, the next race. I'm not going to put anything up in the next race because there's a short price favourite here, trained by Willie Mullins, J.P. McManus owns it, and it's uh, ridden by Coleman. It should win the Mayor's Listed Chase. Have a look at that one. Um, right, as we move on through, we've got some good old Good old racing here, really, to be perfectly honest. And there's a horse called Palmer's Hill, uh, owned again by J.P. Manners, trained by John Joe O'Neill, written by a son, John Joe Jr. And it's called Palmer's Hill, and this runs in the handicap chase at 12.55. It's very early racing here at, uh, at some Aintree, I suppose. You know, it's the time of year. Anyhow, on to the... 1405, that's 205 in my book. And it's the Many Clouds Chase. Many Clouds won this a few years ago. And of course, he won the Grand National. He won the Hennessy, as it were, back in 2014. Uh, what does he, uh, what uh, wins his race today? Well, we've got horses like Imperial Aura running in the race from Kim Bailey Yard. Fell last time out at Haydock behind Aplutard. That is forms and fell pulled up unseated since he won at Ascot last November. Then we've got Native River running. And yeah. John Joe Jr. rides this. Yeah. Now, he hasn't run since Aintree won third to Clanders Oboe here. Um, but, I mean, the old, the old, um, you know, the old uh, yards and brilliant form, is it? And uh, it they've is, probably yeah. got the Bailey horse to, to beat and they've probably got Protector Act to be as well. But I'm going to go Native River. What a great old horse. And I don't think he'll be far away. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we've got the Beecher Chase over the National Fences. What wins it? Well, it's a cracking race. Henry the Bromhead's got a runner in the race. They're unseated in our Grand National at 40 to 1. So I wouldn't say it's got a Great, great chance today, but you know, you can't knock his horses, they're doing very well. Um, let's look on through here. There's plenty of runners. Um, Le Brue, um, is a horse you'd have to mention, Ben Paulings, but a bit disappointed the last couple of runs. It looks, yeah, a really, really, really competitive race. Um, and Tom Lacey runs a horse in that was pulled up in the Grand National. At 20 to 1, that was a little bit more fancied, um, which I wouldn't put anybody off. But the horse I quite like here is a horse that won the Scottish National, and that's a horse called Mighty Thunder. So he'll say the trip, he jumps for fun, he beat Dingo Dollar that day, and I think, you know, the, the yard's in great form, and that is the yard of Lucinda Russell, her partner, of course, Peter Scudamore. So mighty thunder for me in the beach of Chase 
there at Aintree. Okay, right, we'll fine. Move, we'll, we'll move on there, Eddie, if that's all right. We'll go to um, Chepstow. Uh, and there's some pretty good, pretty good racing at Chepstow, to be honest. And the first race is at 11.38. So that's sort of like coffee time, isn't it, really? Yeah. I think, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully, well, Mary's always up early, of course, on the Saturday. Well, every day. Um, she'll be writing down her bets and having to get down the bet and shop on her bike a little bit early because these are really early races, aren't they? 11.38 at Chepstow. So let's hope Mary's uh, listening carefully and writing down all her bets and getting the best bets to pop on her sheet um, to get down the betting office. The first race is 11.38, I'd say. Um, what wins it? Well, I don't think Ask Me Early will be far away. It's one that's last two at Utoxter and uh, Exeter. Um, it's a horse that's a big improver, I have to say. And uh, Sean ba- Bowen rides it for... Harry Fry's not going to be a great price, but one for your doubles and trebles. That's what it's all about. It's the Coral um, Welsh National um, Trial Race here today as well in a couple of races' time. So we'll keep an eye on what runs uh, in that because uh, that is the big one uh, the day after Boxing Day down at, um, down at Chepstow. Uh, right, in the uh, pool... In the next race, the 12.47, I quite like a horse called Delaga. He ran pretty well down there at at Newbury. And he's a horse that um, doesn't mind Chepstow. And I think he's dropped to a reasonable handicap mark of 125. Delaga in the 12.47. Now, the 122 is the Coral Welsh National Trial. What wins it? Well, Trucker's Lodge has... Also, you know, he's also done really well in it um, before. Um, he's also the second Potter's Corner, if you remember, back in 2019. Uh, you got one for Rosie from the Kim Bailey Yard, a little bit out of form. You got uh, Amy Desbois from Fergo Brian's Yard that was brought down in the Aintree Grand National. Um, it's a real good race, to be honest. It really is a very, very good race. But I'm going to take a chance with a horse that could easily stay the trip. And it's trained by Philip Hobbs, number seven, it's St. Bart's, it's called. And I think, um, you know, if he gets the trip well, he, uh, around this stiffer track, um, he could step up then in trip to have a crack at the Welsh National. He's about four to one on my book, number seven, St. Bart's. Okay. In the, what, 122. Right, moving on through. Don't fancy anything in the next one. And the um, 2.32, nothing really stands out for me here. Um, it's uh, it's quite a tough racing there because there's plenty of runners. And I think the last race is at uh, 3.09, and that's the National Flat race. Um, you can never rule out a horse of Sam Thomas's. He's doing really well. And he runs a horse here called... Hurricane Dealers, owned by Hurricane Cat, is owned by Waters Plant Heart. And of course, you know, uh, Mr. Waters, he loves to have a runner and a winner or two here. And he was the man that built Force Last track, uh, oh, yeah. which has now been sold on. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't think this will be too far away. Hurricane Deal in the final race. 
It's not the final right, race, though, is it? Oh, is it? Oh, no, okay. It's the second final race. Yeah. Because the final race is Division 2. <laughs> you are right. But, good job um, somebody's on the ball here, isn't it, eh? Well, it is a good job somebody's on the ball. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, you're absolutely right. So, that, nothing from the last race. So, that race is divided. So, um, that's yeah. my selection. Right, okay. Fair enough. Right. I will be at Sandown Park on Saturday, and we've got some great racing at Sandown. We really have. And, of course, it's the Tingle Creek, a race that I never won. I was second in a couple of times, I think. But, oh, Desert Orchid won it a few times. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, we only got seven runners there. The other race meetings have got eight. Right, the 12.05 on Saturday, the Andy Stewart uh, National Novice, another good man that we lost. Um, Who, Andy Stewart? Yeah. What, the singer? No, not that. No, no, not the singer. Oh. Andy Stewart, the owner of, of the great three-mile stayers hurdle with a big bucks. Ah, oh, right, no. Okai the new, Jimmy. Okai the new, Okai the new. Might I can take this, horse number one, Might I, trained by Harry Fry, ridden by um, Lorcan um, Murta. And owned by a good friend of mine, Brian um, and Sandy Lambert. And I think this will win. It won the other day at Newton Abbott. Steps up today. It's a very good horse. Won a bumper at Warwick. I think it will win. Um, okay. On to the 12.40 race there. And Lorca Murta rides a horse called White Hot Chili Philly. But there's a horse running here that I bought a little share for a friend of mine, actually. Um, called Fable. I think she'll take the beating. She likes soft ground, so we really could do with a bit more rain. But I think the ground, there'll be a bit of juice in the ground there. But um, I think Fable can win the 12.40 on Saturday. Okay. Uh, Fable it is. Easy, it? Yeah. Fable it is. Fable it is. Um, moving on through, there's quite a nice horse of Gary Moores that runs in the 115, and it was a winner at Lingfield and soft ground last time out. Um, it gets in the bottom of the handicap with 100 racing. It's owned by Hale Sergeant and Evans. It's called Naturally High, and we think that this can win down there at Sandown Park in the 115. All right. That is the Henry VIII Novices Chase uh, race that I won a couple of times at Sandown. What wins it? Well, it's a blooming good little race. There's a horse running called Do Your Job for Michael Scudamore's yard that wouldn't be without a chance. Um, and, in fact, there's one or two pretty smart horses in the race. I think they'll all have to go probably to beat the horse of um, Twiston Davis rides for uh, Sam Thomas, Stolen Silver. Used to be trained by his old man. Now it's trained by... Um, it's trained by Sam Thomas, but stolen silver, I think, would take the Henry the eighth at uh, one fifty. On to the Tingle Creek. Sadly, we've only got five runners. Chacon Poursois comes over, and to be honest, he really, you know, Nuba Negra uh, was third to him at Punchestown, but beat him in Cheltenham. Um, I think he's a pretty good horse. He's only been beaten once. And, I think they'll all have to go to beat uh, Chacon Poursois in the 2.25 at, um, at Sandown. 
Right, the uh, three o'clock race is the London National, so you need some horse that really stays the trip well. Paul Nichols runs a horse here. There was fifth in the Utoxter National uh, called Time to Get Up, called Highland Hunter behind Time to Get Up. Finish fifth, not being very far. Dees Abba, the horse of Philip Hobbs, he's a pretty disappointing horse, but he was only just beaten by Kashari last time out. Uh, that was in a handicap hurdle, could have just put him right. The Moore family run a horse called Larry that won nicely at Ascot at the end of October. Um, you know, it's a pretty competitive little race. So what wins it? Well, I'm going to put the, the neck on the line. I'm going to go for the horse of um, Nichols, Highland Hunter, around about 7-2-1. The last race is a listed hurdle. And uh, Tristan Davis runs a ride metier for uh, for uh, Harry Fry. This horse is pretty good. It won the Tollworth last year, beat Shake Him Up Harry. It's only seventh to appreciate it at Cheltenham, but it came back and it had a couple of little problems. So I would forget that run. I think it's a pretty good horse. Um, it won in October at, with, at um, Newton Abbott. A lot of good horses start off at Newton Abbott. It's a good little track, really. Teaches them a bit. It's quite tight, and then they step on up and trip. So I think Metier can take the 3.35 there at Sandown Park. And I think I'm right in saying that is the final race. You are this time, yeah. Makes a change, doesn't it? It does, absolutely, yeah. Couldn't agree more. So there we go. Um, listeners, that is my selections for the racing on Saturday. OK, well, let's hope you've got a few winners there. Make a change, yeah, wouldn't know. it? It would make a change, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. no good having all yeah, this yeah. knowledge, you see, if you can't get the winners. That's the trouble. You, you give us all I these, know, all these, know. you know, he's, uh, my mate owns this one, all that, but if they don't win, they're not a lot of good. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Uh -huh. I know. I know. There we go. Well, thank you, Colin, for that, and uh, look forward to joining you next week. We certainly will. Have a great weekend, listeners. Mary, go careful, and uh, AD, and you have a lovely weekend as well. Thank you. I will. God bless you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Well, that was the ever-jovial Colin Brown with his tips for the weekend, and coming up now, we've got Dave Wilson and Harlequin Racing's effort at the weekend. Well, good evening, Dave. How are things at Harlequin Racing today? Yeah, very good. Uh, not enjoying the cold, thinking weather at the moment, but uh, it's uh, what we need for the horses and uh, how things are all set up for us. So uh, we're looking forward to the weekend ahead. Yep. And uh, some fantastic racing on up at Aintree and then uh, the Coral Welsh National Trial over at Chepstow this weekend and uh, two very good races over at Sandown, including the Tingle Creek. So uh, we're... Uh, Looking forward to a very nice weekend of sitting in the armchair and staying warm and watching it all this weekend. Yeah, and then the FA Cup at Yeovil as well. What more can you want? That's it, R5, Yeovil down on the telly, so hopefully everyone will be tuning in and uh, cheering the boys on. So yeah. we could have a fantastic Saturday all in all, but yeah. we shall see. We will. Uh, we're going to kick our thing off with uh, Aintree meeting, and the uh, first race there is 11.15, the first race. And uh, hopefully we'll be out of bed in time for it. <laughs> and uh, one we're liking there is Richmond Lake. Uh, Theo Gillard takes a ride for Donald McCain. He's had one run under rules and uh, he absolutely trounced the field up at Bangor by 15 lengths. 
and he had a nice horse in behind him that day called Herm's Boy. And the horse in third was uh, Creative Control. Now, Creative Control's come out and won very nicely since by an easy three and a quarter lengths up at Sedgefield. And uh, the only danger we can see in the race to Richmond Lake is uh, John Magnia owned uh, Bombs Away, which is trained by Ollie Murphy. And uh, we don't think he's quite up to the task of Richmond Lake, who took the eye on his stable debut for Donald McLean and certainly looks a little bit special. So uh, we're going to have a small win bet on him. And at the moment, his price is sitting at about 130. So uh, that opens a meeting up at Aintree for us. So, uh, Okay. Richmond Lake in 11.15. Moving down to 11.45, uh, we're going with a horse here called Glange Clare Glory. We backed it last time out and it came second. And it's owned by uh, Professor Teesdale and it's actually running in a, a syndicate name next time out, running for charity in this race here at Aintree. So very, very well done to the owner of that and uh, very nice of her to put the horse up for a charity run. Uh, last time out, he ran second to Lossy Mouth, and uh, since then, Lossy Mouth's come out and won very easily again off a £5 higher mark and won by 10 lengths from a horse called To Be Sure, who's actually taking it on again in this race here. Now, five of the other runners in that race where Grange Glory came second to Lossy Mouth have all come out, and they've all been placed since, so... Uh, it's a race that's got very, very strong depth of form in it, and that's what we look for when we're uh, picking horses. And uh, it just means that the race form is going to stand up unless something obviously goes astray with the horse. So, uh, as we say, like five of the horses that have was behind Grange Clare Glory have all come out and finished second or third in the next races. And the horse that beat Grange Clare Glory has come out and won very easily since as well. So... The form of the race is very, very solid, and uh, at the moment it's priced up around about four to one. But we're holding off, and we're waiting for a little bit of five to one, so we can get some each way value. But it's well worth having a win bet at four to one, or sitting tight and waiting for the fives to come up there. Going to fair glory in the eleven forty-five there at entry. Okay. Moving down to the twelve twenty, one of our tenth follows running in this one, and uh, it's Ellie May. Uh, no bets advised on her in this race. Uh, she's going to be priced up at around about two to five to win this. And there's only one other horse in the race that's got any really re- realistic chance of beating her, and that's John Joe O'Neill's uh, Annie Mack. So uh, we think Ellie May is going to win nicely in 12.20 for Willie Mullins and uh, boost our uh, tend to follow up a little bit. So uh, we'll see how we're getting on with that later in the year. Okay. Moving down to the 12.55, a horse we backed a couple of weeks ago up at Cheltenham in the Paddy Power Gold Cup, Galahad Quest. He actually finished fifth that day. He was only beaten six lengths, but it was his manner of how he got to the fifth. He got smashed up at two or three different points in the race, and uh, he's been dropped a pound by the handicapper as well. And from what we noticed after backing him last time out was that he didn't get a clear run in that race. And he, he certainly looks like he's going to improve as well and uh, he's run first time out this season he ran third to a horse called Good Boy Bobby and Good Boy Bobby come out last week in the rehearsal days at Haydock and only got key and photo finish so obviously again it's race form that stacks up with solid form and uh, that points us in the way of Galahad Quest in the 12.55. Again he's priced up at around about 4-1 to one at the moment and it's worth having a look around you, you should be able to get an each way but at 4-1 to one a quarter of the odds so we're seeing that race there, and we go with him there. 
Moving down to the 130, a horse we like the look of here is seven, uh, Sea Seasons. Bit of a tongue twister for this time of night. He's priced up at 7 to 1 with uh, heels at the moment, and they're paying three places a uh, fifth of the odds. Going to be ridden by JJ Burke, and he's trained by uh, Ross O'Sullivan. And he won off 63 and was second off 64 on the flat out in Ireland last year. And he's improved over hurdles. He was second on his debut and only got beat half length behind a horse called Bell X1. And that's solid form because Bell X1's won two, two races already this season. Obviously, the Sea Seasons finishing second to him in one of them. And then Sea Seasons come out a run, five to four joint favourite with Field Door. He, although he got beaten a long way by Field Door, it wasn't a very bad run in, in the end. Because Fuel Doors come out and won a Class 1 Grade 3 at Fairy House last weekend. So 7 to 1 looks to be very big odds to me about Sea Seasons in the 130 at Okay. Moving down to the 205, we're going with one of Colin Tizar's old favourites, Native River here, and uh, he's going to be ridden by John Joe O'Neill. And uh, he's one of these horses, when the ground's soft or heavy, he's the horse to find and see where he's running and obviously the ground with this weather we've got at the moment is going to be very soft or very heavy up at Aintree at the weekend now this fellow he won obviously he won the gold cup in 2018 he won this race the many clouds chase in 2019 and he's third in it last year so he's certainly a horse that's going very well in his career stable is absolutely flying at the moment with the winners that the Tizards are turning out and he's priced up at around about nine to four. So we we expect there's going to be a flurry of money for him at that sort of price because it looks to be a, bit, a little bit too big to me. I, I've rated him around about a seven to four shot for the race. So we'll see how he gets on in there. Right. Moving down to the two forty race uh, over the Beecher Handicap Chase, a horse that won it last year, V Leon Rouge for David Pipe. Uh, as you say, he won it last year off the five pounds lower in the handicap. He won the race by 24 lengths from uh, uh, quite a few of these who are reopposing him here. Now he was second in this race in 2018, and he's, he's a proven course runner over the entry national fences, and he's proven at the track. And this is a race that's always on his agenda. And at the moment, Sky Bet are offering a tremendous price about him. It's 12 to one with seven places on offer for an each-way bet, and it's a fifth of the odds, so it's a it's a bet to nothing, really, for me, because I can't see him being out the first seven, whatever happens, and he'll probably be nearer first and seventh, to be truthful, and it just looks to be a tremendous bet at the moment that's on offer with Sky Bet there. Right. Moving down to the 315 race, uh, a horse that we've uh, noted last couple of runs over at Cheltenham, uh, Straw Fan Jack, He's going to be ridden by Aidan Coleman for trainer Sheila Lewis. Uh, as I say, he's had his last two runs at Cheltenham. He got beaten ahead by Sam Batanza, and then he was in the Greatwood. And it's another one of them horses that we noticed. He got bashed up a few times in running. He ended up finishing about 11th. And he was beaten about 14 or 15 lengths. But if you watch a race back, you'll see he's losing more than that in jumps and the bumps that he got all around the place so uh we think sky bet again they're paying they're offering up 14 to 1 about this fella and on five places a fifth of the odds each way again we think he'll be nearer first and fifth and it's another one that's going to be a, a nice each way bet there in the last race at entry on the day moving over to the coral welsh national trial race at chepstow the 122 race a horse that we like the look of in here is Trucker's Lodge. 
Uh, his form at Chepstow is second to none, really. He, he, he won a bumper there. He's been first in a hurdle race, second in a hurdle race. He's won a beginner's chase at Chepstow. And then he's finished second in the Coral Welsh National in 2019 and seventh in the Coral Welsh National in 2020. Now, a horse that's got that sort of form over the track at Chepstow is obviously one to be following in, in any type of race at Chepstow. And we think he's going to run very well. Now, he's been dropped five pounds as well in the handicap from his 2020 form in the Welsh National. So, uh, again, this fella's priced up at 14 to 1 at the moment. And I, I don't think that would be available come the time of the off and uh, William Hills is the only firm priced up at the moment and I think they've made a little bit of a rick with the price on this one. I, I had him down nearer 7 on one shot than 14 to 1 so uh, 122 with the Coral Welsh National Race there, Truckers Lodge Two races of note over at Sandown this weekend as well, the 150 uh, another one of Paul Nichols which is going to be ridden by Harry Cobden Il Ridioto or however you pr- pronounce it, I don't Anyone that watched a horse win at Newbury last weekend has got to be absolutely gobsmacked that this fella's only gone up £12 in the handicap. He absolutely cruised into the race. He won it. He didn't even come off the bridle, and he won by about six or seven lengths. Now, obviously, he's up in class in the race, but he's priced up at around about seven to one, and he could well be worth having a nice small each-way bet on him there. So he'll read the Oto in the 155 at the Sandown. And then we come to the big race of the day at Sandown, 225 Tingle Creek. And we think Willie Mullins is, and Patrick Mullins are going to have uh, ace cards here with Chance Sound Poor Sweet. Uh, he's, had, he's had nine runs for Willie, Willie Mullins and he's only been beaten twice. And uh, there, he's won five Class 1 Grade 1 races and uh, he just looks to be a little bit more than. Most of them in the race with uh, Hitman and Grenatine in there from the Nicholas team. I don't think they're the class of him. And Nubra Negra is going to have to step up a little bit on the form that he's, he's shown so far as well. And uh, we're going to be siding up very big with Chancellor Poissois and see how he gets on. He's, he's only priced up about 11 to 10, but we rate him the best bet on the whole weekend. So that's what we got for you there, mate. And uh, we'll see how everything goes over the weekend with all them races on and uh, hopefully we'll have a few, say a few winners for you well let's hope so Dave thank you very much for that lot then and uh, as you said a, you know a pretty good weekend sport I think with uh, racing and football so uh, I think we're all going to enjoy it yeah it'll be a quick weekend and uh, we'll have to get plenty of beer and uh, keep your armchair warm absolutely uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right no well worries. thanks okay, very yeah. much Dave for joining us and um, we'll talk to you next week Well, that was Dave Wilson from Harlequin Racing, and basically that is the end of a marathon show. Two hours long, first time we've ever done that, and it just goes to show everybody wants to talk to us here on Three Valleys Radio's racing show. So thank you to everybody that's joined us this week, and we look forward to hearing from you all next week. So until then, this is AD Hopper saying thanks for listening to the racing show here on Three Valleys Radio. (laughs) 